Hi, I am Martin, and this is Words That Change You. Words fly all around us. Kind words, silly words, angry words. And they do so all day long. But how often does something written or spoken really feed our souls? Wouldn't it be nice if beyond the noise we could listen to words that make a difference? Words that change us. In Words That Change You, we'll examine words, events, concepts that have impacted us lately and see whether we could not glean some nuggets of wisdom to feed on and some tools that apply that for our lives. Tune in and be surprised. Bury me at wounded knee. Have you picked the songs for your funeral yet? That was the question my parish priest asked me about 30 years ago, when I was still in what you would call the prime of life. I was slightly disturbed, if not offended, by his query. But as we discussed this provocative question, I had to agree that there was absolutely no guarantee that I would reach ripe old age, and that God could call me home any day. Since then, I have ever more appreciated the wisdom of his words, both in what such an exercise does for the realization of one's own mortality, but also because of the enormous ambiguity it diffuses for those who are left behind and who are meant to make arrangements for your funeral. I have been struck how many people, even in their 50s or 60s, have never bothered writing a will or discussing funeral arrangements with their children. In some way, the reluctance to firm up one's own funeral arrangements stems from two modern trends. The first is to erase death and mortality from daily discourse, as if it would go away because of that. The second is an ever less clear sense of what kind of rituals are actually appropriate when somebody passes away. Traditional societies, whether Western or Eastern, used to have pretty clear customs, often developed by their religious traditions, which helps to avoid needing to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. But in more recent days, with a waning sense of religiosity, what one does for funeral and death is up for grabs. Do you bury? Do you cremate? Do you scatter the ashes in a river? Or what do you do? In light of said confusion, it might be helpful to reflect on what funeral rituals should accomplish. The famous and beautiful Holocaust memorial site in Israel is called Yad Vashem, which literally means a memorial and a name. The whole Jewish tradition understands that even once people pass away, their names deserve to be remembered. So whatever else funeral rituals are supposed to accomplish, they are meant to help remember the deceased person. And most cultures have understood that this is greatly helped if there are vi visual aids for doing so. Gravestones, plaques, formal pictures with candles or incense in front of them, all that helps to keep the memory alive. Combined with dates such as the anniversary of a person's death or a particular feast day like All Souls, they provide a semi-automatic prompt to not forget those we love.
The second crucial aspect of funeral rites is that of providing closure for those left behind. I have a friend whose father was killed in a school stabbing, and because of the criminal investigation, the body was not released for the better part of a year. It was excruciating for my friend and his family not to be able to bury their dad and thus bring closure to the mourning process. Similar experiences are shared by people whose relatives joined the military and then ended up missing in action. I personally greatly appreciate the custom of Jewish burials where once the coffin is lowered into the grave, the men take shovels and close the grave. This is closure indeed. Why are we broaching such a seemingly morbid subject? Some of our listeners know that we recently lost one of the founding brothers of my religious community, and we are going to bury him next Monday. Therefore, the topic of death and burials is very much on my mind, all the more so since I'm quite involved in the preparation of his funeral. And I think it behooves every adult person to spend time considering their own mortality and to do so in two ways. The first question is spiritual or philosophical and goes something like this. What do I think happens to me once I die? Is there a soul which is immortal? Or am I a purely material being which, once the heart stops beating, dissolves back into ashes and atoms? Is there such a thing as life after death? And if so, does it involve some reckoning or judgment as regards my earthly behavior? Will I be reincarnated, resurrected, or is this the end? Given how important life is, thinking about its end seems a worthwhile exercise. But secondly, there are also more practical considerations, and in some ways this episode has focused more on those. How would I like the events surrounding my own death to be handled? The first question, also often neglected by people, is whether I have a living will, whether I have entrusted medical power of attorney to somebody, so that when I'm incapacitated, somebody can make decisions about my medical care, which are in line with my principles. Secondly, it is a huge relief to bereaved relatives if they do not need to fight over funeral arrangements each claiming to know the mind of the deceased. So having discussed or even documented our wishes helps those we leave behind. To take my own case, living, and more importantly, dying in the United States, means that one is typically embalmed. But I have no interest, for reasons too complicated to elaborate here, in being embalmed, so that's what's in my directions. I know exactly what readings I want for my funeral, and, thanks to Father Ellen, my parish priest, also what songs, including a German one. Finally, the U.S. tradition is one where after the funeral people are invited to a so-called luncheon. It's a boring affair with sandwiches and coffee, which you can tell by my description I don't like. Instead, I want a love feast or agape, where good wine is served and hearty food. You might say such directives are simply a way for overactive people to even influence things from beyond the grave. But I actually think that it will help my brothers make decisions easily. We conclude. Again, forgive us if today's topic has been exceedingly depressing for some of our listeners. 
but we believe it is an important one to be broached. So consider how much time you have ever spent thinking about your own mortality. There's a famous quote-unquote management exercise where you are asked to picture your funeral and the eulogies different ones of your friends and relatives will be giving. The question is then, what do you hope they will say? And then to reflect whether your current behavior warrants that they will say just that. Secondly, have you ever thought of your own death and how you would like to be buried? Finally, have you ever spoken to your spouse, children or friends about it? I remember that my dad, before two tricky operations he was undergoing, called me and asked me to come to Vienna so we could discuss his end-of-life care. I did, and he, my mom and I spent a beautiful day together. Yes, we cried at times, but far from being an awkward day, it was some of the most precious 24 hours we ever had together. I wish the same for you. This was Words That Change You with me, Martin Steinbereitner. It was produced by Fritz Lowy, Piroshka Kacha, Harry Kalef, and Jacob Dubibert. If you like this episode, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. Also feel free to leave us feedback or questions on Facebook under Einstein Podcasts. Until next time.